1209, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. A lot of ground to cover. Three big things coming up in just a moment. But I want to start off with clearly the most bizarre story of of the day. And there's a story about it in the Journal Sentinel. It's It's written in a little bit of a confusing fashion. But in part, I understand because... It's just, it is such a a weird story. It involves two former assistant district attorneys who worked for John Chisholm, who have now been charged with misdemeanors in connection with, well, what they're describing as a a cover-up. Attempted misconduct in office by using discretion in a way inconsistent with duties um, as as a party to a crime. It's just an incredibly bizarre story. And I don't know if it reflects on the way Chisholm runs the office or if it's just a weird, weird thing. All right, all right here's, here's the deal. There's an attorney, former assistant district attorney. His name is Antoni, Antonini Apollo. Antoni Apollo. Um, he um, was in the homicide unit, left last March. So he leaves last March presumably go into private practice. There's a, a woman who is in the, um, handles like sensitive crimes. Her name is Kristen Schrank. She's 33. All right, so she's in the office last summer. What happens is they, they have a thing where in the DA's office, they, they rotate being the assistant district attorney on duty. The the on duty assistant district attorney is the one who I think they actually have a cell phone that, that you, you call. But the idea is, all right, if it's after hours and you have a police officer that makes a, an arrest and has a legal question or needs a search warrant or something like that, there's an on duty assistant district attorney. And I think the way they work it in the DA's office is the, the on duty assistant district, district attorney physically has a, a phone and the, the cops call the number, you know, and you can call, you know, anytime after hours and, and you can ask for legal advice. And it, it rotates as to who, you know, who is on duty in a given week or weekend. We used to do it differently in the U.S. Attorney's Office, but that's how I think they do it. Okay, so she's on, she is the on-duty assistant district attorney, which means she has the phone. She's supposed to be available to answer the calls. All right, so it's July 16th. Fox Point police arrest a guy on charges of first offense drunk driving. What happens is, apparently, as they're trying to take him into custody, the guy allegedly resists arrest, gets into a struggle with the Fox Point police officer. All right, um, the Fox Point police officer is injured trying to take the guy into custody. The guy himself is also injured and has to be taken to the hospital. So here you have this stop for drunk driving, and now it's quickly escalated. You've got a guy who allegedly resisted arrest. He's heading for the hospital. The cop is heading for the hospital. Okay, this is now something that that you can see the arresting officer and the people at Fox Point are going, okay, we're starting to have a situation. So what happens is they call the assistant district attorney on duty, which is this Kristen Schrank. And the question, they want to talk to her about, should we get a warrant? They're taking him to the hospital. Should we get a warrant authorizing a blood draw so that we can, you know, use that as evidence later on? Now, she's supposed to be the one who answers the phone and, and gives the advice. Well, the phone rings, and this Antoni Apollo, who's the guy that used to work in the DA's office but now no longer does, 
he answers the phone. <laughs> okay, he, he answers the phone. And, you know, the police officer, um, you know, a- asks questions uh, about this. And, um, you know, he, he apparently says, well, you know, she can't come to the phone right now or something like that, but I, I can I can answer your question. So the officer runs this down and he tells her, he tells the officer, yeah, I think, you know, you should get a warrant. Okay, you, you should get a warrant, which is probably good, sound legal advice. The um, he then says the police officers, OK, well, well, who am I talking to? And at that point in time, uh, Apollo, apparently, uh, instead of giving his name, he, he lies and he says he gives the name of an intern in the DA's office. Okay. All right. So, you know, he's answered the phone. He's not a member of the DA's office. He's given legal advice, which is probably the correct legal advice. But then when he's asked, he he says he's an intern in the DA's office. All right. All right. So the the Fox Point police officer gets this information. He, He reports it to the captain. The Fox Point captain thinks it's odd that an intern would be I guess, answering the on-duty call phone and then giving legal advice, which raises all sorts of problems if somebody who's not authorized to practice law in the state, for example, is giving legal advice. So the Fox Point police captain starts kind of questioning. So he calls the number back, and eventually he talks to the woman, Shrank, who's supposed to be the on-duty district attorney. Um, She says that she had been in the shower that night, and a friend had taken the call for her, but she says, don't worry, everything's fine. All right, so now you, you have this kind of weird thing. The former assistant district attorney has given what I think is probably correct legal advice, but he's lied about who he is. Um, the woman who was supposed to be answering the, the phone um, doesn't answer the phone, and now she's presumably, you know, kind of lying about these circumstances. Anyhow, then it gets really weird. All right, so they go ahead. A different assistant district attorney charges the, the guy who was arrested by the Fox Point police. Okay, he, he charges it. All right, fine. Then what happens is when he shows up in court on July 19th, the, this assistant district attorney, the duty district attorney, Shrank, appears, and even though it's not her case or her assignment, she dismisses the case. It's not her case, but she kicks the case. Huh. Well, um, the, the Fox Point police officer who made the arrest is kind of honked off with all this. What do you mean you dismissed the case? I arrest this guy. He gets into a struggle with me. I end up having to get treatment, and you've re- dismissed the case? What's going on here? Um, and then she says, well, um, you know, he was a former law enforcement officer with a medical issue. Um, he said you were using excessive force. She says the juries in Milwaukee don't like cops. Um, huh. And and obviously, th- this whole thing is raising all sorts of red flags. Why is an intern giving this advice? Why is somebody who wasn't even her case coming and dismissing this thing? I would raise larger issues, including, you know, what's going on with supervisors? Does anybody in that office know what people are doing? But that's another story. So anyhow, they, they start poking around into this. And what they do is they find texts between Apollo, that's the guy who left the office in March, and Shrank, Showing, showing that Shrank had asked him to take the duty phone overnight on July 16th because it was a particularly busy night at the restaurant where she worked part-time. She's a bartender. At least that's a social media page. She's a bartender, which does raise another story. You've got an assistant 
district attorney who is moonlighting as a bartender. You know, <laughs> and then she's doing this while she's on duty, while she's the duty district attorney. Now, interestingly enough, I guess one way you could look at this was, isn't it terrible we pay assistant district attorneys so little that they feel that they have to go out and, and moonlight and work as bartenders? The flip side of this is, remember you just had this one assistant district attorney that retired a couple weeks ago who was up to his neck in the whole John Doe proceedings? He walked away with an $800,000 cash backdrop payment and still is going to collect almost sixty grand a year. You want to talk about a tale of haves and have-nots. You have some people walking out of that district attorney's office rich beyond the dreams of avarice on the taxpayers, and then you have others, the younger ones, who are moonlighting as bartenders to make ends fit, ends meet, only in Milwaukee County. So anyhow, her, her story is that um, this Apollo guy uh, agreed uh, to, to take the phone overnight because she was working a- as a bartender. Now, th- this whole thing is bizarre to me because, and again, I don't. It's unclear what the relationship, if any, was between these two. Because I mean, it's I mean, normally if you would need somebody to cover for you, you would ask another assistant district attorney. Hey, I'm really busy tonight. It's it's my turn. I'm up. W- will you take my shift, and I'll I'll take yours next week or something. So the whole thing is bizarre. But in any event, then there's a series of emails and texts back and forth between the two of them. Um, she says stuff like, I'm freaking out. I didn't handle it well this morning. I, I just acted like Fox Point w- was crazy. Um, Apollo, that's the guy, is telling her she needs to get the situation under control and that she should dismiss the case, say it's too circumstantial. On the day of the initial appearance, she texted the guy saying, it's a private attorney, still dismiss. I'm panicking big time. After she dropped the case, she texted Apollo, it's dismissed. It's going to come out and look like I did, I did it slash lied and got no, got rid of a criminal case to cover my own ass. So they've got these texts that are back and forth. The whole thing is absolutely bizarre. She ends up leaving the district attorney's office last fall. They've now both been charged. My guess is both of them will, if not lose their law licenses, have their law licenses suspended for a decent period of time. The, and the district attorney's office looks horrible. I mean, is there nobody watching this? Is there nobody running the store? How does John Chisholm and the supervisors allow this type of stuff to go on? The whole thing is just absolutely bizarre, but it is a classic example of how, well, and look, I know there's a lot of assistant district attorneys that are there. I I mean, I get it. It's a big office. But it's amazing to me that something like this could even be allowed to, to happen. You know, doesn't a supervisor have to sign off on dismissing a case if the case isn't yours? A lot of questions still out there about this. And you've got two attorneys who are up to their neck in conduct, which at, at best at best strikes me as being incredibly improper slash maybe unethical, and at worst ends up being a crime as charged, and none of it makes John Chisholm look very good. All right, when we come back, three big things, starting with what happened in western Wisconsin last night. If anybody thinks it is a big deal, they are not a big deal. They are smoking something. 1220, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. To 1223, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Dow Jones Industrial Average now over 26,000. Um, just hit 25,000 last week. It was over 26,000 points briefly yesterday, but then fell back. Now it's up 251 points for the day. It's at 26,044. Assuming that that sustains itself, this will be the highest finish of the Dow ever. All right, big story number one. Look, and I. 
I understand. Maybe if you are a conservative, maybe if you're a Republican, you don't want to hear this. But the bottom line is, pay attention. I come this way but once. Yesterday, there was a special election, 10th Senate District. There's 33 Senate districts in the state. Um, this is in the, the extreme western portion of the state, Polk County, Price County. You, you go out to kind of Eau Claire and then go a little bit west and, and then go north. It's the counties, again, along the Wisconsin-Minnesota border. It is a reliably Republican district. It's about a 55-45 Republican district after redistricting. Obama carried it in 2008, but then there was redistrict in 2010. It is a reliable Republican district. It has been represented by State Senator Sheila Harvsdorf, who's, she won in either 2000 or 2002. She's been there for a long time. She was reelected to a new four-year term in 2016. She won by 26 points. All right. Donald Trump won that Senate district by 17 points. Okay. That Senate district, it went for Obama in 2008, but like I say, there was redistricting. Um, Mitt Romney, Romney won that Senate district in 2012. So I, I bring this up to say it is a reliably Republican district. Sheila Harvsdorf resigns to take a position in the Wisconsin, in, in the Walker administration, meaning that there's a special election. So you had a special election yesterday in this district. Um, the Democrat who run ran was a woman named is a woman named Patty Schnechtner. Um, she was a school board member. She was a m- chief medical examiner for St. Croix County. All right, so you know, it, it's not like she is a particularly high profile type of, of person. Um, her challenger was the state representative. Um, who represented one of the assembly districts. There's three assembly districts for, you know, each state senate district. So, I mean, she was running against, you know, one of the state representatives from that area. And, and I should say this, the state representative she was running against, th- this is not a Roy Moore situation. Th- this is not like, um, you know, you've it, his name is Adam Jarko. It, it's not like that they went out and found some crazy Republican, you know, picking the only Republican who couldn't have won this race. I mean, Adam Jarko, very well-respected state representative um, from that area and, and a mainstream conservative, not a loon, nothing like that. And the expectation was that, that he was going to win and was going to win big. A lot of money spent on both sides, but the bulk of the money was spent by Republican groups. You, you had the um, Club for Growth and Americans for Prosperity. At the end of the day, they put more than $100,000, and Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce, they, they put more than $100,000 into the race. There was spending, like the usual suspects, like the Greater Wisconsin Committee, they spent on, on behalf of her. But actually, there was more money that came in on the Republican side. So voters go to the polls and again a republican leaning a republican district a republican district an established elected official a district that went for trump by 17 points um 17 points in november of 2016 a district that re-elected a republican senator admittedly incumbent it wasn't a special election by 26 points in november of 2016 All right. So solid Republican district. The race, 
The Democrat wins, and it's not close. She wins by nine points. Nine points. Um, that's a 35-point swing from when Sheila Harvsdorf won in November of 2016. It's a 35-point swing. All right. Now, I understand that there's some people that are trying to downplay this. They're saying, it's oh, it's this isn't a referendum on Donald Trump. This is just, oh, the Republican Party, there was get out the vote, and that didn't work. This is a big deal for both Democrats and Republicans, because the truth of the matter is, if Adam Jarko can lose by this margin in this district, there is no Republican starting with Scott Walker and moving on down, who is safe unless Republicans wake up and figure out what's going on and what the strategy is going to be. And for people who don't think that this is in part a a referendum on Donald Trump and the Trump presidency, I, I think they are being naive at best. Now, the good news is it's January the uh, midterm elections aren't until twenty eight and aren't until November, so there's a lot of time between now and then. But I think this is a major, major wake up call to Republicans in this state that there are some issues, and in some respects, they are perhaps getting tagged with some of the frustrations that people have about Washington. All right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. How big a deal is this on a scale of one to ten, with one being no big deal? And 10 being, this could be a game changer. I, honest to goodness, think it's a 9. 414-799-1620, we discuss. 1236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Look, I, I, I'm I'm one who said for the longest time that I think a lot of President Trump's problem is is style as opposed to necessarily substance. And I think Wisconsin Republicans in particular have a great story to tell. But that message clearly is not getting out. And you saw this play out last night in what can only be described as a stunning win by the Democrat. And I understand some people don't want to hear that, but that's just the reality. You take a state Senate district that Trump won by 17 points last November, that the incumbent Republican state senator won by 26 points last November, and you run a solid, pretty good candidate, and he loses by nine, you know, 13 months later. Something is going on, and it's not very good. And I don't think it's – I heard, oh, we we need more, like, door people to knock on doors and stuff. Well, okay, that's fine. But there is a bigger problem than that. 414-799-1620. And I think Republicans need to get their act together and figure out how to handle what I'm calling the Trump effect. Mark in Milwaukee. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Uh, full disclosure, I'm I am a Democrat, but I mm-hmm. do I do like discussing and, and sure. having good open discussion, much like I know you do, even though we have different opinions. Sure. It, it's in my opinion that this is on a, on your scale. It's an eight nine. Mm-hmm. Um, the the Republicans definitely need to wake up with 2008, like you said, uh, with the November elections coming up. This could be a make or break year for the Republican Party. They just came into power, so to speak, Mm -hmm. um, by taking the House and the Senate and having a Republican president. And Trump is not doing any Republican favors by his divisive comments and constant tweeting. And I'm really surprised no one has yet to really reel him in and show him the long the long term right. goals of the 
Republican Party. And um, so it's my opinion this is they the, yeah. all Republicans need to take notice. We are, well, we're you, you do. You know, it's interesting, Mark, is, is I mean, some people were reacting when Roy Moore lost in Alabama. That That to me wasn't as big a deal because. Roy Moore was crazy. Roy Moore yeah, was a <laughs> yeah, he right. He, he was a flawed candidate, and Correct. and and so to me that was it was kind of easy to explain that away by saying, okay, here you have this incredibly flawed candidate. Last yeah. night in Wisconsin, now admittedly it's one state senate district, but it's a Republican state senate district, and you had a solid candidate who got thumped. He lost by I nine points. Too. I was totally blown away, Jeff, by by what I read this morning that she won. I was I was like, yeah. whoa. Right. No, no, exactly. No, thanks for the call. And, and again, I, I think even this morning, there is this sense of denial that's out there in some quarters. Now, now, Governor Walker, to his credit, I mean, Walker sees this. You know, Walker sent out a series of tweets saying, hey, this is a wake up call and we need to get our message out. And he's sending out tweets and they're not crazy tweets. They're, they're tweets like, OK, we we need to get the message out that we've done this in the state. And we've done that in the state. This is what we've done for property tax relief and all these things. He's saying we need to get the message out. I, I'm just Something's got to happen here, or I do think in 2018, and I'm not trying to be an alarmist, you could be looking at a wave election. We've been through many wave elections. 2008, what was a wave election? Barack, people were, people were tired of the Bush administration, right or wrongly, and, and you had Barack Obama who came along, and, and you had Republicans who lost seats right and left just because they had a R at the front of their name. Well, then things switched in 2010. People weren't happy with Barack Obama. You had a Republican wave. So you, you've seen this, and we've seen wave elections. Um, the 2000, we, we've seen these wave elections before. 2014 was another Republican wave election. But, if you're losing this seat by nine points, it tells me that something is going on. And to write it off and not recognize that it is a problem with the Republican brand, I think in, in large part, not necessarily because of the substance, but because of President Trump's style. If you don't buy that, I, I think you're missing something. John in Oakfield. John, you're on WTMJ. Hello. You, you came to the guy then that's missing it. I think I don't disagree with you totally and i am i'm like the first guy i am not a democrat okay i'm more i always call myself a republican now but i don't think uh i don't think trump is a purebred republican and i don't think that calling ourselves either purebred democrats or republicans is what we need i think what this might be an indication of i don't know either one of these candidates I didn't know until this morning that there even was a special right. election over on the west side of the state. Like I'm, right. I'm, I'm sure if your audience is honest, most of us weren't paying that close of attention. Right, but uh, just, I but, I, but at the I same time, at, at the same time, John, uh, there was I a ton of money spent. People in this four county, yeah. I think it's four county district, knew about this race. A lot of money spent. Now, admittedly, it's a race yeah. in January. Okay, yeah, go ahead. One, one, one point. Just let me. Give me a give me a little leash here, please. I think what this may be more about. I don't think there's as many people that dislike Donald Trump as some people are leading on to believe. I think this may be more about because somebody made the remark that that the guy that got beat, his next natural step was to be the senator. That's what's wrong with our system. These career guys that think, oh, because you become a assembly guy that then you should become a senator and then you should go to washington uh-uh no 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 
you get in for a couple terms in one spot or another, and then you go back to the back to whatever you were doing before. That's what keeps you grounded. That's the type of government that this country was supposed to have, not a bunch of career whatever Democrats well, or Republicans. Okay, well, John. Okay, John. You, you, okay, now, it. John. Thank, thank you. I let you make your point. Let me tell you about Adam Jarko, <laughs> young young guy, rising star in the Republican Party. He, he, this wasn't some old retread. This was a guy um, from the area, actively involved in the community, elected to the state assembly in 2014. So, yes, I think people might say this, everybody thought this was going to be the next natural step, but it wasn't like, oh, you have this career politician who's been hanging on and hanging on. He was only elected in 2014. So I, I'm just, I, I guess, I, I'm just saying that this this was the type of candidate that you would go out and that you would recruit and you would find to run. This wasn't, I'm just trying to make the point, this wasn't a Roy Moore. This wasn't some crazy person. This was a mainstream, solid Republican candidate. And I have to tell you, I don't think this race had anything to do with Adam Jarko. I don't. I, I don't think this was a rejection of him. I think this was a rejection of the Republican brand. And I, I do tie that into what's going on in Washington. And, and that's where you get the, the trouble. That's where I think you have to kind of analyze this, where people – and if you're rejecting the Republican brand in a Republican district, why might that be? You know, what could be the cause of that? And I don't think it's objections to Scott Walker. I mean, I think people like the way stuff is going in the state. But I, I think people – I mean, I just think people are unhappy – um, with candidly, I think they're unhappy with the president. I'm not saying you don't turn that around, but this this is an issue, and I do think it needs to be a wake up call. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to David in Milwaukee. David, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yes. Good morning, Jeff. Hi. What do you uh, think? Just a couple of neutral points. Uh, first off, Wisconsin is neither a Republican or Democratic state. It's proven historically right. it can go both ways. Well, we have Scott Walker as governor, Ron Johnson as U.S. senator, and Tammy Baldwin as U.S. senator. But, yeah. I, but our history has been uniquely balanced. Right. It, it's had as many runs as Republican as well as Democrats. But clearly, uh, that's a good point for Wisconsin. Uh, if we look at also the personality of politics in general, you have a party selection and you have a candidate selection. So as you're right, uh, the gentleman uh, up north lost his uh, uh, run as a surprise, but it's not a surprise based on the party line. If you look at what has taken place on a national scene, and even with uh, Paul Ryan, who's pretty much uh, high up in the uh, annals of, of the current uh, level of Republicans, but he hasn't been neutral on his response to some of the extremes that have been represented by the Republican Party. Uh, and so just like this recent verbal uh, snafu in a meeting that Trump yep. said yep. some negative things, that doesn't bode well for the neutrality of your Wisconsin voter. And and your your point is very well taken that there is a rejection here, but it's not necessarily the candidate. It is the Republican Party. Well, so, I, I, right. I mean, I, I'm worried. Is this and, and is that a fallout and an offshoot of, you know, a reaction to President Trump that there's a negative? Clearly, I mean, he won this district main, by 17 points last year. Yeah, and that's the main factor. But also, it's like this this episode, episode that episode, excuse me, that took place yesterday in the news. It's like every other day there's some negative comment that's made or some reaction or behavior that comes through the party because of the main candidate. But you now saw senators who sat on their hands, the only ones 
who spoke out uh, were the uh, I forgot the guy's name. Uh, right. Well, no, you had. So, so thanks for going. No, you had. A, I mean, it's. I, I think. Look, here's the react. It, stuff starts at the top. You know, I was talking about the wave elections in 2010 and 2014. Um, Barack Obama very successful in getting himself elected. He was also very successful in getting Democrats up and down the ticket, the senators, the congressmen, and state legislators to lose. There were no coattails at all, and while people rallied around Barack Obama and elected him, there was a complete rejection of Democrats. I think what you may be seeing now is the reverse of that. Um, you, you have a, a rejection of Republicans, not necessarily because of who they are, but because people have been turned off to President Trump. And I don't exactly know what the answer is. I would like to think that the Republican brand, I think people want conservative government. I, I believe that. Um, I don't think the Republican brand should be tarnished, but I, I wonder what the Trump effect has been. And look, and I understand there's some people who want to stick their heads in the sand and say, oh, you're just picking on President Trump and all. No, I'm looking at a race that should have been won by a solid candidate who lost big time. And, and yes, there should be cause for alarm. Am I talking panic in the streets? And am I predicting control that uh, predicting that that means that we're going to lose the governor's race and that you're going to lose control of the state Senate and the state assembly? No. But I'm saying that anybody who looks at politics and gets the numbers should, if you are a conservative, you should be chastened by the results last night. And I understand if you're a Democrat, you should be elated. And now the question is, where do we go from here over the course of the next 10 months? Uh, It's 1248. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Big story number two is coming up. Give me a ticket. Really? 1252, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. As it does in Wisconsin from time to time, we've had some snow over the last couple of days. Actually, this has been, yeah, as snow goes, we haven't had that much snow this winter. And you look at the 10-day forecast, and it doesn't look like we're going to get much over the course of the next 10 days because it's temperature supposed to go back above freezing starting, I think, tomorrow maybe, and then actually be in the 40s over the weekend. So you're going to get rain. It's 24 degrees out there now, and that, that's all cool with me. But we did get snow um, on, on Sunday. In the city of Milwaukee, once you get more than a measurable sort of snow, they, they, they have these rules with regard to parking, and the plows go out because the plows have to uh, clear the streets, and and the parking checkers. The Department of Public Works goes out, and there's rules. That you can't leave your cars on. It's, sometimes you got to be on the odd side of the street. Sometimes you have to be on the even side of the street. They're not particularly forgiving. The first night of operations, Monday, uh, Sunday to Monday, they issued... 3,231 parking tickets, 3,231 parking tickets. The first night we had the snow. The second night we had the snow, they issued, well, let me see, I got the number here. They issued about another 1,750 tickets. All told, the first two nights of the snow removal operation, over 5,000 parking tickets were issued. It was pretty much unforgiving. Let's go out. If the cars aren't moved appropriately, let us issue tickets. 
I have heard from more than a handful of people complaining about what they believe was an over-aggressive attempt at enforcement by the Department of Public Works. Hey, this was the first big snowfall. We should have had a little bit of a grace period here. It wasn't like it was like a blizzard or anything like that. The DPW should have been more understanding instead of writing $40 tickets like you would give away candy on Halloween. Right. That is one side of the argument. The flip side, I guess, is, hey, you know, you got to clear the streets. And if you're going to live in an urban area, you've got to be mindful of what the rules are. And when it snows, you've got to get your car off the street or onto the right side of the street or the correct side of the street or whatever. So the plows can get through. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is big story number two. I have a take on this, but I am kind of curious as to what you think. 5,000 tickets for failing to move your car in general. You know, so the plows could clean up uh, the appropriate side of the street. Was this overkill? Should they have been more forgiving? Or is this, hey, rules are rules, you got to beware. you got to know that when it snows, it's your responsibility to get your car where it needs to be. And if you don't, you deserve the ticket. 414-799-1620. I'll tell you where I come down on this, but I'm curious as to how you feel about it, particularly if you were one of the people who might have gotten the ticket. It's 1255. We're back with calls in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1257, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Terry in South Milwaukee. Terry, hello. Hi, Jeff. What do you think? Were they was this about generating revenue or about cleaning the streets? Um, I suspect it's uh, more so about revenue. Uh, not, I mean, I'm sure like there's a lot of streets that are narrow and it's hard to get through, and and there's problems with that. But putting writing a ticket and putting a ticket on the car doesn't get the car out of the way for the plow. It just is a forty dollar bill for whoever whoever left their car there. Right. Right, no, and it, and it encourages. I mean, no, thanks for calling. It, it it is, and and look, don't get me wrong. I I think you know I've I've read the city of Milwaukee budget, and it, it's got a special line item, line item. They they count on parking revenue. There is no incentive for the parking and checkers. There's no incentive to give them a break. And I know that there's a lot of them that look at things like this as an opportunity. Hey, we can go out and write tickets. That said, though, when it snows, if you don't move your car. Well, the plows can't get through. Russ in Milwaukee. Russ, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? Good. What do you think? I say ticket and tow them. I work for uh, DPW in Milwaukee County for West Dallas, and some of the roads are hard to get through. Yeah. Well, that that's it. I mean, the, the problem is, I mean, no, thanks for the call. I, look, see, I, I think the answer to my question is actually both. I, I think the city of Milwaukee secretly kind of jumps up and down saying, hey, this is a revenue opportunity. We can stick it to people. But at the same time, you, you do, these cars aren't supposed to be there. It's 109. This is Jeff Wagner. Quick programming notes. Uh, tomorrow, 1210, we're going to have an interesting guest in the, the studio. And um, you, you've certainly heard about why he might be infamous. You might not have ever heard about him. Um, we, we've talked a lot over the last several years about the 
in my opinion, completely and totally out-of-control government accountability board that launched into the ill-considered and ill-fated John Doe investigation, where, in my opinion, you had Republicans that were targeted, um, you had questionable tactics, and you had a government accountability board that um, really, I think, was completely and totally out of control. Well, what ended up happening is after, in the aftermath of the John Doe botched investigation, the Government Accountability Board was done away with, and it was split into a state ethics commission and a state elections commission. Most of the people affiliated with the old Government Accountability Board um, left, left the jobs, retired, what, whatever. What happened, though, is a couple people who worked for the Government Accountability Board um, continued on. And two of them, one is the head of the Ethics uh, Commission, and one is the head of the State Elections Commission. State Elections Commission um, head is a guy named Michael Haas, director of the State Elections Commission. He was an attorney with the Government Accountability Board, not directly. Well, actually, this is some of the things we're going to talk about. Not one of the ones that was one of the principal people involved in the John the failed John Doe investigation, but he was there at the time and did have some some role in that. In any event, he is now the director of the State Elections Commission, one of the the few holdovers from really the old Government Accountability Board. He needs to be, to keep his job, he needs confirmation by the Senate. And you have Senate Majority Leader Scott Fitzgerald, who's kind of made it pretty clear that that he does not have the support. That would be that Haas doesn't have the support of the Republican majority in the Senate. In any event, uh, the confirmation is supposed to be scheduled for the end of the the month. And uh, Mike Haas, who has the support of members of the Elections Commission, both Republicans and Democrats, he's going to be joining me about 1210 tomorrow, right out of the box, um, to talk about why he thinks he should continue to have his job. And, you know, it's pretty much we've agreed to a Noel Holds Barred interview. And um, I spent a lot of time last night with the report that the Attorney General issued. And I have I have some questions about his background and what went on at the Government Accountability Board and what, if anything, that means moving forward. In any event, he's going to be joining me tomorrow right after the 12 o'clock news. That's Michael Haas, the director of the State Elections Commission, who would like to be confirmed by the Senate to keep his job. So be sure and tune into that. All right, big story number three. And I had to say this. I could not start the program off with this because my blood pressure would completely and totally go through the roof. I I kind of had to work into this one. This is the the story of a 17-year-old, well, you can use almost any negative term you want to describe, Isaiah DeGroote. He is the punk, the thug, the gangster, whatever, who was involved in the hit-and-run incident down in Mount Pleasant on Sunday morning. If you haven't heard the facts of this, it's it's extremely chilling. According to the criminal complaint, a Racine County Sheriff's deputy sees this SUV, um, on Sunday, having license plates that didn't match the vehicle that they were on. All right, the deputy turned and followed the vehicle. So, all right, when you see that, I mean, it screams stolen car, right? License plates don't match it. So what happens is the the deputy, she decides to try to pull over the, this vehicle um, to try to, you know, investigate, hey, what's going on? So she turns on her lights and sirens um, to try to pull over the car. 
the driver of this vehicle is this 17-year-old thug named Isaiah DeGroote. Um, as soon as the police officer hits the lights, DeGrua speed, DeGroote speeds up, abruptly turns left into the parking lot of a Kohl's department store down in, in Mount Pleasant. Now, this is one of these stores where it, it's not just a, it's a standalone Kohl's, but there's all sorts of other stores in the shopping center. So they pull into the parking lot of the Kohl's department store, and what happens is DeGroote floors it. All right? The deputy... Um, stops trying to make the traffic stop because there's all sorts of people all over the the parking lot. This is a Sunday morning. Lots of people in the parking lot, but it doesn't matter because DeGroote, trying to get away from the cop, is driving like a bat out of you-know-where. He loses control of the vehicle and crashes, striking two pedestrians, a 53-year-old man and his 47-year-old wife. She is going to have to have a leg amputated. Um, she's got bleeding on the brain. She's going to lose a hand, I believe. He has serious injuries as well that are going to require multiple surgeries. Okay, after after smashing into these two pedestrians, DeGroote gets out of gets out of his car and starts running away. Now, meanwhile, the, the deputy and a number of bystanders, they're there trying to administer first aid because they're trying to save the lives of these two people that this thug has, has, hit, has hit. So at that point in time, DeGroote runs from the crash. Um, ultimately, they find him located in the weeds, oh, about a quarter mile away from the scene. Um, so he he runs from the cops, hits these people, and then gets out and flees, leaving them for for dead. Okay, um, investigators then search the SUV that the guy had been driving. They find um, dope in it. They find a uh, let's see, I believe they find a they find a, a gun a, as well. At least it's my understanding uh, that they found a gun a, as well. All right, Degroot never has it. Never has never had a driver's license. So he's driving a stolen car, no driver's license, um, flees the cops, and, and again, causes the, this carnage. All right. So you say, all right, this is terrible in and of itself. Then you get into the guy's background. DeGroote, who is 17, was arrested in November for violent felonies, including firing shots from a vehicle. It's one of these situations where apparently he gets into, a, gets into an argument and starts firing shots from a vehicle. So this is, he's 17 years old. Who knows what his juvenile record is? That's all another story. But he's involved, you know, in a shooting situation. He was out on bond on Sunday when he engaged in the, this shooting incident. Um, the bond in that case was $2,500. $2,500 after being involved in the shooting incident that put him back out on the street in a position to do what he did. Now, the interesting thing is in court yesterday, when he, he shows up, um, his attorney shows up. Now, here's a guy out on bail, $2,500 for shooting incident has damn near killed two people driving the stolen car, etc. Here's what the attorney said to the judge in court yesterday. I would consider asking the court to put him on house arrest. 
technically he's a minor. <laughs> All right, here, just put him on house arrest. Let's let him back out again. And, of course, the, the family of the victims are appropriately absolutely outraged. They're saying, look, this guy shouldn't have been driving. He's never had a valid license. But more importantly than that, he shouldn't have been out on the streets in the first place. You know, what? what is he doing out on some ridiculously low bond? All right. Big story number three, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To me, this is another example of the complete and total breakdown of the criminal justice system. We talk a lot about how bad it is in Milwaukee County, but this is an example of how bad it is in Racine County. I think it is ridiculous in the extreme that you can have a 17-year-old who is involved in a shooting incident, a shooting incident, and you turn him loose back out on the streets on a $2,500 bail. The court commissioner that set this bail, in my opinion, put the lives of people in Racine at risk. And you see what has happened as a result of that. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. <laughs> when people are engaged in offenses involving firearms, again, I don't know what the guy's juvenile record is because, again, that's sealed and we don't get to know. My guess is that there is a juvenile record as well. I mean, I don't think you just wake up one morning and say, okay, today's the day that I'm going to go out and start shooting up the streets of Mount Pleasant or Racine or whatever. But the idea that he was out on $2,500 bail is nothing short, at least in my opinion, of shameful. 414-799-1620. Now the bail is $300,000 in cash, which is perhaps more appropriate than what it should have been in the first place. Unfortunately, now you've got somebody who, two people who are seriously, seriously injured um, in a life-changing sort of fashion, all because we didn't keep this thug behind bars in the first place. It's an outrage. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 120. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One twenty three, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I mean, this, what, what really should scare you is this could happen to you. It could happen to me. It could happen to people that we love. You've got this husband and wife. They're at Festival Foods in Mount Pleasant on Sunday morning getting ready to shop. You have this 17-year-old thug who is out on a ridiculously low bail in the first place after being involved in discharging a firearm. He's out on a ridiculously low bail. He's driving a stolen car. They try to pull him over. He takes off. It's not even a police chase. He drives at a high rate of speed through a crowded parking lot. He hits these two people forever changing their lives. The woman is going to have her leg amputated or hand amputated. The man is going to be a series of surgeries. Um, and then the thug gets out, runs away, tries to hide. They ultimately catch him. His lawyer has the guts to show up in court yesterday and say, well, why don't you put him on house arrest? Oh, he's sh- hopefully this hopefully this 17 year old will never, ever, ever see the light of day again. But my point is he shouldn't have been out in the first place. Let's talk to Brian in North Milwaukee. Brian, you're on WTMJ. Uh, hi, Jeff. Thanks uh, for taking my yes, call. Sir. It seems the only way these prosecutors take their job seriously is when somebody dies or gets hurt, and then they get their act together. It's disgusting. Yeah, I mean, it... It, it, you, it takes somebody to die or get their leg cut off for them to put shooting a gun out of a car 
he should have never have been out. He could have killed a child or bullets could have hurt, killed somebody. Well, well, absolutely. You know, that's, I mean, absolutely. And, and now the, the, the penalties are so extreme. And so now, I mean, theoretically, he will spend at least the next hopefully 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years in prison. Fine. He belongs there. But I'm caring about the victim. You you just I wish some of these court commissioners and judges would start caring about, you know, what happens. That court commissioner that set the bail on this character should have to go visit those two people in the hospital and explain why they decided it was a good idea to put a ridiculously low bail on this thug in the first place. Yeah, have the guts to look him in the face and say that. Right, right, exactly. No, thanks, Nicole. But of course, you talk to you talk to these judges, and yeah, well, you don't understand. You know, we 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 go by these computerized systems, and we try to estimate. You know, what the likelihood is that they're going to reoffend. I'm sorry. When you have somebody who is involved in a firearms offense that it involves shooting the firearm. Okay, you know, we're not talking about somebody that was throwing toilet paper, you know, up on a wall. We're not talking about somebody that got caught trying to sell a couple nickel bags of pot. We are talking about somebody who fired at another person. We are talking. And again, I don't know what the juvenile record is. Wouldn't that be interesting to see? But of course, in Wisconsin, we protect the juvenile records. We don't allow the public to know how dangerous the juvenile offender really is. And I don't know if he's got a record or not. I wouldn't be surprised if there is. But all I know is when you have a situation where you have somebody who opens fire on the street to let them out on a $2,500 bond is absurd. And anybody that thinks it is appropriate is, in my opinion at least, unfit to be making decisions with regard to bail. And it would be nice if everybody involved in this first case from November who was responsible for putting this gangster out on the street Part of their job requirement should be going and visiting this couple in the hospital and explaining to them how sorry and how they feel, because the truth is there is literally blood on their hands. This is not an atypical case, though. It's getting attention because there is this outrage about what ended up happening. But you know what? It should not have taken this. 127, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 135, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Yeah, and people keep asking, who for sure was the court commissioner? And I, I'm not positive that the case was assigned to Mark Nielsen, but I, he, I don't think he's the one that actually set the bail. Um, normally, again, you have these court commissioners who are the ones that set the, the bail, and they're, they're not even elected. I mean, there's very little accountability there. You just have a whole system that has no accountability, and it just flat doesn't work. And we put up with this, and the result is people are injured, people are killed, because you have folks that just make these decisions that make absolutely no sense. Makes the defense attorneys happy, but doesn't do anything to protect us. All right, let's switch gears. There is a movement in this state to change the way we tax big box stores. Now, let's try to put this in a, in a in a way that people could maybe understand. Let us say that Gru and I each own each own similar homes. We we own let's say we own basic ranch houses, pretty much the same design, um, three bedrooms, two bathrooms, nice little kitchen area. Okay, but relatively small homes. All right, let, let let's say that, and let's say that Gru is living in his home. It is in a nice neighborhood um, where, for example, you you 
don't have gunshots and things like that. So it's in a nice neighborhood. He takes care of it. He cuts the grass, makes sure the roof doesn't leak, all those type of things. All right. I, on the other hand, because, well, for whatever reason, I own a house and I have abandoned it for, for whatever reason. I, it's a similar type of house, maybe an identical layout. Um, it's in a different part of town. I have abandoned the house. Nobody cuts the grass. The roof leaks. There's nobody living in the house, and it's been vacant for a, a period of time. Well, are the two houses worth the same? And I think most people would say, well, no, of course not. If you're looking to buy the house, the house that's in the nicer neighborhood, that's being well kept up, the house that doesn't have the leaks, that doesn't have all these problems, the house where there's actually been somebody there, yeah, that that has that's worth more than the house that Wagner abandoned, you know, three years ago and has taken no care of. And who knows, you know, what's going on in that, right? It, it's just kind of a simple sort of thing. Well, let's now apply this to big box retail stores. Let's say you have a Target store. And let's say you, you Target has put, uh, they, they put a store that they opened, I don't know, 15 years ago. And they put a store on a particular block in one part of town. And, and the store operated fine for a couple years, but they've closed the store. The store has been sitting vacant for five years. There's the parking lot has grass that's growing up. There's really nobody maintaining the building. It's been sitting vacant. And again, cobwebs that are in there. Who knows what's going on with the roof? Who knows what's going on with the mechanicals? It's just sitting vacant. Let's say, you know, at the end of a strip mall that the Target owns. It's a vacant building. All right. Now, one of the reasons that building is vacant is five miles down the road, Target has built another big box store, and this store is thriving. You've got people coming in. The building is maintained well. You've got the roof. You've got all, all the systems that are there. There's somebody that's out there taking care of the parking lot. It looks great because it's an active, ongoing concern, right? People are coming there. So the question becomes, is the building... Okay, where their active business is going on, the building is kept up well, you've got the parking lot, people are flocking to it, it is desirable. Is that building, is that Target store worth as much or more than the Target store that's been vacant for 10 or 15 years, that's sitting there in the abandoned strip mall with the grass growing up? And I think, you know, if I were to say to you, all right, if you had a bunch of money and you wanted to buy this Target store, gee, which one would be worth more? Which one would you expect to pay more money for? And I think most people would say, well, you know, I, I should be able to pick up the vacant building with the grass in the parking lot. And, you know, it's been abandoned for 10 or 15 years. I should be able to pay, get that one for a lot less money than I pay for the one that's thriving, right? Well, What's happening is there are a number of these big box retailers, Target, Walgreens, and a number of others, who are using what they call the dark store theory, who are arguing that there is a loophole in Wisconsin law and in the laws of other states that essentially says a building is a building. You can't charge more in taxes for the well-maintained building that is a thriving store 
than you can for the vacant building with the grass growing up in the parking lot. And so they're going into court and they're challenging their assessments because typically assessors in Wisconsin would say, hey, this is a popular, it is an ongoing concern for property taxes. It's an ongoing concern. It is worth more. This place is worth more. If you sold it, you would get more than if you tried to sell the decrepit, falling down building. The stores are saying, oh, no, 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 no. You should only be able to charge us uh, again. You know, what's what's the building worth? And it doesn't matter if it's an ongoing concern or not. And the people that have been arguing this, and again, it's called the dark store theory, that you shouldn't be able to charge more higher property taxes for an ongoing concern than you do for a dark store. And because of, again, a couple court decisions and the way Wisconsin law is written and a loophole in the law, they've been winning. These big box stores have been winning, which means assessors have had to lower the assessment on these ongoing thriving stores. Now, you might say to me, Jeff, well, why do I care about that? Well, you care about it because it typically then means that you as a homeowner have to pay more. Your assessment ends up going up. You pay more um, to make up for the fact that the big box retailer ends up paying less. There's legislation going through Madison, which would kind of change this and would say that in deciding and trying to figure out value, you can consider what the real value of the store is, namely a popular store in a popular location that has got all sorts of traffic, you could say that is worth more for property tax purposes than the vacant, decrepit, abandoned store. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't want to argue the, the wisdom of the, this, this loophole and whether the courts are right in, in saying, okay, the law allows this to happen. I think, though that regardless of whether the courts are right, this is a loophole that you could drive a truck through. And it makes no sense to me that in trying to decide what the value of a property is, you can't consider what the property is being used for. And the idea that a a well-kept-up, well-maintained store that is active and has thousands of people coming to it in a given week of course that store, it seems to me, is worth more than the abandoned store that nobody's been to in five years. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand the big box retailers are trying to fight this because they want to pay as little as possible in taxes. And I appreciate the sentiment of that, but I don't think that's right. I think the value should be just like the house that Gru owns, that is well-maintained, that he lives in, I think the value of that should be more than the value of the house that I'm talking about. If nobody's been there for five years and the grass isn't cut, who knows the condition of the roof? It just makes sense to me. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 144. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 147. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It is whole dark store theory, and it, it's there's legislation that's moving through Wisconsin that would change what is a loophole in state law. Right now, you've got these big box retailers who are saying, well, 
we've got a vacant building that hasn't been used. It's been abandoned for the last 15 years. That should be valued the same as a thriving building that, that we have, an ongoing business. You shouldn't be able to consider whether or not the, the business is successful, whether or not people are going to it in trying to determine what the value of the property is. Now, to me, that's again, that that's crazy because using the example I was using earlier, if you've got two houses identically the same within 15 blocks of each other and one has been abandoned for five years and the other is being well-maintained and there's a family living in it and it's current, well, okay, which house is worth more? Well, clearly the house that's being well-maintained, that the family is living in, that you know everything is working, that is clearly worth more than the abandoned house five blocks away, 414-799-1620. And here's why you should care about this, because as these big box retailers go in and challenge their assessments and demand they be lowered, the effect is communities all right, we're not getting as much as we should be getting from Lowe's or Menards or Walmart or Target or whatever. That means everybody else is going to have to pay. Let's start with Susan in Oak Creek. Susan, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. I agree with you. It seems to me that the driving store uh, should be assessed higher and and, uh, of more value. And one of the reasons I was thinking about that is, uh, chances are a thriving, juicy store like that would need more services from the community also, whether that's police presence or street plowing or whatever else is required. It would seem like there's a cost to the city or county for services provided for that business also. Well, well, right. It, it, exactly. There, there's going to be more of that need that's going in. But again, I, I think sometimes we make it even more complicated. Which which building is more valuable, the thriving store or the abandoned property? Well, I mean, I think it's almost impossible to argue that the thriving store, if, if you had somebody who was going to buy something, the thriving store would be the one that you would charge more for, right? Absolutely. Yeah. No, thanks for the call. I mean, again, that's that that's it. Now, I understand on, on one level, and, and there is a loophole in state law that a number of I don't want to say exploit because the, these big box retailers, this is a thing that's going around the country because um, they figured out they, they should say, hey, for the perspective of property taxes, condition shouldn't matter. Use shouldn't matter. Um, you should only be able to tax for the size of, of the building and the value of of the land. That's that's it. But, of course, the land value is going to vary depending on what the use of this is. Okay, let's talk to Chad in Milwaukee. Chad, you're on WTMJ. Oh, oh, hi. 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 Yeah, my name's Chad. Sure. I I, I couldn't disagree with you stronger on this topic. And I guess as I I mentioned to your screener, um, are you there? Yeah, go ahead. Well, yeah, I, I didn't. I don't know if you keep throwing the word, I heard this before, this loophole, and I'd like you to explain what the loophole is, because it's a big scary word, the loophole, and, and these dark stores, but what what is what what is the loophole you're talking about? Well, what the loophole is, is that the, the, way, the way these properties had always been assessed in the past was based on treating them as an ongoing concern, what the value is. Back a couple years ago, and this is this has been a wave that's been going across the, the country. Um, you and because Wisconsin's law is not the only one that is like this. In Wisconsin, it was a case brought by Walgreens that argued that the way state law was written when it came to retailers was that um, you you 
couldn't you shouldn't consider the value of you couldn't consider it had to do with leases but essentially it was that you shouldn't include the treat the business as an ongoing concern you should just look at the value of in this case it was the lease but it would be the property or the building and that would be that was not the way it was interpreted but that's the way the supreme court said it should be interpreted so that's why i'm using the phrase loophole well, what, what they were looking at, and, 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 and when you're talking about this, you're really oversimplifying. I heard, I heard you say, well, they're saying you know, we have a building that's abandoned and one that's and one that's in good shape, and that is not what this, they're talking about. Oh no, no, that's precisely what they're talking about. Dark stores. That's where that theory comes from. A dark, closed down, abandoned store is not worth more than the thriving store eight or ten blocks away. No, that's precisely what they're talking about. No. Well, see, I'm pretty involved with what they're actually talking about is is contract rent versus market rent, and what you're talking about the 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 the, 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 the case that they're talking about is using when you're figuring the fair market value, and the statutes clearly state that you base the value based on fair market value. Okay, they're not and you're using these 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 comparable sales to come up with a comparison sales comparison approach in an appraisal or an evaluation. And they want they don't want you to use these dark stores as as a comparable sale. However, really where this comes down to is using in in the sale in the income approach when they're talking about uh rental rates and you use market rental rates. And what 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 what's going on here is they want to use contract rent versus market rent. And this whole dark, dark store is, is, is really a scare tactic. And it, it's way more complicated than just saying taking a, a store that's dark yeah. comparing it to a store that's operating. Well, actually, and I think if you, re- you really have to dive more into, into really what's going on here. Because I, I just think you're, 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 you're presenting the facts completely, uh, uh, not clear. Well, okay. I mean, see, there's actually, it's funny you should mention, because there's actually, I mean, two aspects. There is the, the dark store theory that I am talking about, and then there's the, the other, the other situation that you're talking about with regard to leases. But, but here, let, all right, I'm, I'm just pulled something out. Here, here's, and it is referred to as the dark star loophole. In essence, the dark star store strategy is a tax loophole being used by big box retailers and other national chains to try to lower the amount they pay in property taxes. Retailers like Lowe's, Target, Meyer, Home Depot, and Menards argue that the market value of their thriving store should be based on the sales of similar size, comparable properties that are vacant and abandoned. So, I mean, that, that's it. So they, they claim that a fully operational store, like a new Target, should pay the same property taxes as a closed, empty, and dark Kmart down the street. And, and that's, that is what, you know, that they are arguing for. And that's, and I mean, maybe I'm over, if you want to say I'm oversimplifying it, okay, fine. But that's the whole idea of the dark star theory, that the value, the comparable, it's a store, and it's the property, and the fact that it is a successful, ongoing business should not be factored in. And I just don't buy that. And historically, that hasn't been the way it was interpreted until you got the Supreme Court decision. Again, 
it was based on leases, but now this has morphed into this entire thing. I'm just saying I don't think it's fair. And like I say, you've got two houses. The best way I can explain to look at it, you've got two houses within a few blocks of each other. One is abandoned, unoccupied. The other has a family in there. It is well-maintained. Which house has the more value? It seems to me pretty clear that my example, the house that's occupied, has the greater value. It's 155. This is Jeff Wagner. 207. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Belinda. My yes. Wife, my wife. It's a true story. Um, and it actually is going to segue into something we're going to talk about in just a minute. But this is a, a week or two ago. Her her daughter, my, my stepdaughter, is a um, is a nurse. Um, you know, works now, I, I think, in in, in, the, in cardiac units and stuff. And so um, Jenny knows a, a lot about health and stuff and all. And, and my wife and my daughter, my stepdaughter, have, have come up with ways that they want to decide to keep me healthier, right? Which is, which is a very nice thing. You know, uh-huh. it's like, you know, they, the, the way Fran will say it, she says, I want you around. So, all right. But that's, and that is, that is great. That, that is great, and it's an outstanding thing. It's nice that you have people care about you, aside from the fact that there's, like, changes in my diet that are being made and all. But this is a true story. The other day, um, my lovely and charming wife says, stand there for a minute. And she's coming at me with a tape measure. No, 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 no. Yeah, I, no, no, no. This is a tape measure. Oh, God. And right, <laughs> yeah, that's exact. And she puts the tape measure around my waist and then starts, like, tut-tutting me. Because um, her her daughter, you know, the cardiac nurse and stuff, has said that okay, um, if you've got a waist size above a, a certain amount, that's just like a recipe for disaster. And, and essentially, the, the way it's being presented to me is that you'll you'll kick over with a heart attack any time. You know, if you're if you're above this. And now I I don't think of myself. I, could I lose some weight? Yes. I mean, I I don't think of myself as looking particularly heavy or anything like that you know do you be yeah. honest okay. no no i mean yeah i, I mean I, I could stand to lose 10 or 15 pounds probably but a lot of us could be in that situation but in any event i didn't pass the tape measure test oh, <laughs> i get tutted because it's it's my waist was, was too big at which point in time they went and launch on this thing about okay no more junk food that's going to be around here and we're going to cut back on this and we cut back on that and you can't eat all this stuff and and it's fine because it's all coming out of love but um it is kind of a lifestyle change so yeah. um now i was thinking about this tape measure story because this is this is true because yesterday president trump's you know he they his doctor was there with with the physical and he apparently now, passed the physical pretty well. They said that he's um, they, they said he's in excellent health for a seventy-one-year-old man. He's six-three. Um, he's got elevated cholesterol. A lot of people do. Two hundred thirty-nine pounds, which qualifies him as borderline obese for a man of his height, six-three. I guess I never really realized he was six-three, but I suspect that that means that he didn't pass that tape measure test either. <laughs> you know, so, you know, that would kind of. That would kind of be my guess. Okay, now you're you're engaged. Would you ever go at your Would you ever go at your fiance with a with a tape measure? Never. <laughs> Not in ten million years. Yeah. Well. Well, just think about it. Like I say, it, it was done out of love. It, there was there was no question. It was done. It was done out of love. And and now I do rethink this. It's okay. Do I really want those French fries, or could I do with like the the side salad instead? So well, if you ever need that. me to sneak you something, I'll sneak you something. Yeah. Belinda, just Babin, once in a while. I, I I just love you. We all I, need I, a treat. Well, yep, absolutely. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, so now I, whenever I see a tape measure, this is this is that dynamic. But it does lead me into what I want to talk with you about uh, in this segment of the program. Uh, the president had his physical the other day, and what, what of course, you know, they, they came out and they said um, he, he's apparently in, in good shape physically, 71 years old, 6'3", uh, 239 pounds, which is uh, a slightly heavy, but... You know, I mean, it's again, it's not like he's 350 pounds. It's you could stand to lose 10 or 15 pounds and um, slightly elevated cholesterol, which a lot of people end up having, you know, otherwise in in pretty good shape physically, pretty good shape physically. The other thing that happened is that they apparently gave him a, a cognitive test. Um, you typically don't get this as part of a physical unless you are unless there's some reason for concern. But but President Trump said, no, I, I, I want this. And they, they gave him the test. And essentially it involves it involves memory, you know, things like that. The, the idea of, you know, the doctor will read off a bunch of numbers and, and the question will be, can you remember them? Can you recite them back? It, it's various things to try to determine whether or not you are, are processing stuff appropriately. And uh, apparently, at least according to the doctor, President Trump, you know, passed with flying colors. Now, I watched a portion of the press conference that the doctor had. They made the doctor available, you know, to answer various questions. Um, I stopped counting after 15 questions by the media, uh, essentially questioning the doctor about whether or not the, the president's cognitive functions were were working. Uh, and they asked the same question over and over again. I'm sure it ended up being more than 15. I literally stopped counting after the same question was asked about 15 times. And th- I- I'm simplifying this, but the questions essentially were, are you sure you didn't find something showing that the president's brain function was off? And the doctor kept saying, no, I passed this cognitive test. Because, uh, again, the, the story the mainstream media wanted, well, we, you know, there, there's got to be something here. There's got to be a failure. He, he's got to be nuts. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I I find there to be aspects of the president's personality that are, in the phrase I've used, extremely off-putting. And I've said that from the beginning. Um, His personality is not, at least to me, warm and fuzzy. But I I didn't like his persona when he was a TV star on you know the you know when he was doing the apprentice and the celebrity apprentice and i don't happen to respond well to you know personality types like that of of the president but but that's okay but just because you've got this particular personality type doesn't mean that you're cognitively impaired it it doesn't mean that you're crazy it doesn't mean that you're well, I, I don't know nuts in any sort of fashion. It just means that you've got this certain personality that some people might love, but a lot of others don't like. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I would think that the con- that the press conference yesterday and the conversation that we had, um, I think... that the conversation that was had yesterday should put to rest once and for all whether or not there is some problem with the president's mental function. 
Again, you've got a personality that some people might not find appealing. I don't particularly find it to be appealing. But that doesn't mean that the guy is crazy. Does this conversation about, is Trump crazy, does that end as a result of this test yesterday? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My answer would be, I hope so. Because seriously, all this talk about the 25th Amendment, which is what you use to try to remove a president who's, uh, be- becomes ill and can't go on with the job, to me, this is all counterproductive. Donald Trump may be dislikable. You might disagree with his approach to things or his issues, but there's really, I don't see any evidence suggesting that he is mentally unbalanced. 414-799-1620. Will this test end this once and for all? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 215. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 218. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Tim and Fond du Lac. Tim, hello. Hey, Jeff. Okay, is this going to, um, is this physical, at least for the mental stuff, is that going to end this, gee, Trump's got to be unbalanced? Well, I, I would think it would end it if the same doctor didn't tell me that he was 6'3 and 239 pounds. <laughs> you, you, you think that that might be a, I, I guess I never, I've never seen him in person, and I guess I've just, it, I didn't realize he was that tall. Well, I'm 6'2, 238, and I don't look anything like that guy. <laughs> you mean you, you you mean you are not as you you are not let's as heavy set. Portly. Huh? Yeah. Let's say portly. Portly. Okay. So you um all right, so you you just think you think they're fudging on the weight, huh? I I, I they're probably fudging on that. My guess is he's he's as competent as can be, but I, like I said, I if if, if they, why would they lie about one thing? <laughs> just be truthful about everything. Right. So you don't believe the weight. Now thanks for calling. I what I, I it just I was, I just never thought of him as being that tall. But again, I've never seen him, again, I've never seen him in person. Um, 414-799-1620. Here, here's the bigger point, though. And, and I think, and, that I, and I guess, here, the, the, the thing is, I, I think we all, Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal, I, I think the, these conversations about, is the president crazy? I think it does a huge disservice to all of us and to the country. Look, I again, I, I find the pres. I don't, I don't get the whole Twitter stuff. Okay, now I, I think the way I would describe it is, I think he's got. If you want to say personality disorder, I, I don't even know if it's a disorder, but he's 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 very very egotistical. Um, he's he has to be right. He can't allow stuff to just drop. I mean, the idea, all the Twitter stuff and, uh, you know, reacting to everything, I think, again, it's indicative of perhaps a a, a sort of, I don't even want to say abnormal, but a a different type of personality. But that doesn't mean that you're crazy. That doesn't mean that you're insane. Just like, I guess, similarly, being able to recite all the different numbers and say that you can remember, you know, what somebody said to you four or five minutes ago, I don't think that necessarily means that you're, you're not you know that that you 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 aren't necessarily crazy it just means that you've got your cognitive functions but from a health perspective i think we do a disservice with this conversation freddie in milwaukee freddie you're on wtmj hello hello freddie yes sir yeah hey listen you got thanks for taking my call sure. Jeff. okay but you got to realize that this doctor is an admiral in the united states navy correct all right. Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, right, the, uh, the doctor, you mean? Yeah, um, the doctor. Yes. Yeah, he was some admiral or something. Right, Navy now, Rear I'm, Admiral Rodney Jackson. Yep. Right. So, so I'm sure that Kelly told him, look, if you want to 
retire as an admiral. This is the script that you have to read. And, you know, all they do is follow orders in Washington. Uh, so you, I mean, so you, you don't put any stock at all in the, uh, the physical, huh? No. <laughs> no, not at all. Okay. All right. Now, thanks for calling. Well, I guess, I don't know. I mean, I guess I, I come to this point about why would you lie? Now, Freddie would say, well, you would lie because, you know, you're, you're this rear admiral and, you know, you want to, you know, you want to, uh, I guess, you know, not get in trouble with your superiors or whatever. And, and clearly, I mean, in the past, there, there's no question that you have had, you have had doctors that, that covered up for presidents. Um, at Franklin Roosevelt is, of course, the, the classic example of that. You know, people before my time, but everything, I'm fascinated with that period of history. And it's very, very clear that the American public was not told how, how ill President Roosevelt was, particularly towards the latter stages of his presidency. And there was this conscious effort to try to, you know, keep that from people. You know, President Kennedy was just physically was a wreck. And again, there was just, again, a conscious energy, that, that conscious effort that the image was, you know, John F. Kennedy, here you got the boyish charm and the, the, the picture of health. And, you know, we're going to show him playing football and we're going to show him, you know, on the on the sailing and all that type of stuff. Well, that was one part of the story. But the other part of the story was, you know, here was a guy that was, you know, significantly physically messed up and was taking all sorts of pills to try to keep going and all. So, I mean, I, I concede that you had... At, at one stage in our history, you had the doctors that kind of worked with the White House to keep the stuff um, hidden. I, I really don't think that that's the case. And I guess I, I was amazed at listening to the news media how many different times, you know, they could ask really what the same question was, trying to find, you know, is, is he going to say something that maybe there's some sort of cognitive problem? And the answer is I don't think there's a cognitive problem. I think, you know, you, you have a president with a, well, perhaps a, a challenging personality. Here's one of our texts. The test shows he is not senile. It does not address his level of eccentricity. He may be crazy, but not insane. Laugh out loud. The problem is I voted for him. Yes, level of eccentricity might be a good way of looking at it. Because anybody that sends out these tweets, I understand some people think it's crazy like a fox. I just think eccentric might be a charitable word for it. It's 224. This is Jeff Wagner. When we come back, well, lots of stuff. California declares war on, well, I'll tell you what they've declared war on, and I want to talk a little bit about this government shutdown and whether or not you care. Stick around. It's 224. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 226. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So I got these people emailing me. So exactly when she put that, that tape measure around your waist, exactly what was the number? Oh, no, 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 no. That's... That's that. That's I'm, I'm invoking the marital privilege on that one. That's like, and you know, wives can't be you know subpoenaed to testify against their husbands and stuff. No, but but I, I'm willing to acknowledge I am a I am perhaps a work in progress. And actually, the upshot of it was that uh, my dog Sasha get ready for longer walks in the morning. That will be it. All right. Um, on a very serious note, um, the the government on paper runs out of money on Friday. Now, we have been through this. I mean, I think the first government shutdown that I remember was, gosh, back, I want to say, you know, when Clinton was president in the early to mid-1990s. I seem to remember that. Not saying it didn't happen before that. But this, this, this happens 
all the time, it seems, where we get to a point where the the funding is going to, uh, again, shut off. Now, the, the truth is the government never really shuts down. What typically happens when you have a government shutdown, quote-unquote shutdown, is non-essential people get told don't come into work. And then as soon as we get the funding deal worked out, the people go back to work and they get paid for the time that they didn't go into work. So, I mean, it doesn't save the taxpayers any money at all. A lot of times what will happen is whenever there is a shutdown, some of the things that annoy people the most will will occur. Okay, you know, we're going to have to close the national parks or, um, you know, we're going to close the Washington Monument or we're going to do this or that or, or the other thing to cause inconvenience. But again, the government continues to operate. Members of the military continue to get paid. Um, the national defense is there. Essential people work. So it's mostly a paper sort of thing, although there are there are, you know, some negative stuff that attaches to it. Well, unless we can get a deal done to either continue funding the government short-term or long-term, you're going to, again, have that government shutdown that's going to roll around at the end of this week. My position is that Republicans cannot allow this to happen. And, 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 and here's why. Again, from the perspective of affecting you or me, long term, the answer is it's not going to have any effect one way or the other. But here you have a system, and, and most times when you have a government shutdown, it's because you have a president from one party and you have the Congress controlled by the other party, and nobody can uh, agree. If it's a conservative president, maybe he doesn't want to spend as much as the Democrats do in Congress, or vice versa. In this particular situation, you have Republicans who still control the U.S. Senate, 51 Republican senators. You have a House of Representatives, which is Republican, and you have a president who ran as a Republican. Even though shutting down the government isn't going to change in any, I think, meaningful way, you know, any of our lives, I think from, I hate the term optics, but we'll use optics. I think from an optics perspective, you know, the Republicans are still trying to convince people that they can govern. And I think if you let the government shut down, that's just a message, both in this country and to people overseas, that we still don't, or we being Republicans, still don't have our act together. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should we do everything we can to avoid a government shutdown or... Doesn't it matter? Not going to affect most people's lives. Let's shut down the government and try to, you know, force something. Or do we need to figure out a way to keep the government going? 414-799-1620. I think a government shutdown would be nothing short of disastrous, certainly from a political perspective. It's 235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Best known for his blue-collar humor, comedian Larry the Cable Guy is bringing his show to Wisconsin. First, though, he joins our very own Gene Miller with a preview. That is at 7.51 tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, there, there is perception and there is reality. And sometimes the perception and the reality match. For example, when people say, well, you know, you think certain areas of the city of Milwaukee are dangerous, that's that's the perception, but it's not the reality. Those people are nuts. 
that there is the reality and it matches the perception. The the there are times though when it comes to, for example, the, these government shutdowns. Because the truth of the matter is, while sometimes there are minor inconveniences, the government really never runs out of the money, and the government never really shuts down. Some people in non-essential positions end up getting essentially free time off with pay, the way it ends up working out. Sometimes people are a little bit of you know, a little bit inconvenienced because, oh, gee, we've closed this park or whatever, and we can't go to it. So I appreciate that's that's the that's the reality. The perception, though, when you have these government shutdowns, is that the government cannot get its act together. Now, I think. Here you have a situation where you've got, again, a Republican president, Republican Senate, and a Republican House of Representatives. Democrats are feeling emboldened. They think 2018 is going to be a big year for them. As we talked about at the beginning of the show, maybe it, maybe it in fact will be. But there's not going to be any desire at all to cooperate with the president and with the Republican leadership in an effort to get, I mean, to, to get a continuing resolution that's going to keep the government funded. All right. So that, I think, means that it is important for the Republicans to get their act together. In an ideal world, we wouldn't be fooling around with continuing resolutions to keep the government operating for two weeks or four weeks. We, we, would, we would have a budget that you would work with. I understand, though, that the political reality makes that difficult. That is disappointing. But I think it would be inexcusable for the Republicans not to be able to get their act together enough to avoid a government shutdown. But you know what? The truth is, they're running out of time. This is Wednesday. This is Wednesday, for goodness sakes. Um, the government technically runs out of money um, midnight on Friday. 414-799-1620. Jerry in Appleton. Jerry, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Oh, hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my sure. call. I understand what you're saying, but the, the Republicans, in terms of their relationship with the voters, I think are in a very tough spot because if they... President Trump capitulates and signs a bill that isn't any better than the one that's out there right now, gives amnesty for DACA without right. getting getting very little back right. in terms of, uh, you know, maybe right. some of the independents will give us more credit for, for getting things done and reaching an agreement. But I got to tell you, in the congressional and Senate elections, I think the Trump voters are going to be mad and yeah. they're already mad at the Republican Congress and I think they're going to get angrier so I, yeah I, I, mean, I you know I think you know Jerry wrapping wrapping major immigration reform into a continuing budget resolution I think is a bad idea actually I mean I I think if you're going to tackle immigration you should try to tackle it as a standalone type of thing but um, it's already in there because the Democrats won't right. vote for the budget unless you have DACA in there right they, you know you know so right. I mean that you know so I mean it's like we're always in a position where I mean first of all we don't you know I, I was listening to Haley Barber on uh, the former Mississippi right. governor on Fox News before I left the house and he said exactly what I've always been saying. They go, well, the Republicans control everything. He said they don't control the Senate. They have a majority in the Senate. They do not control the Senate. Well, yeah, and especially when you've got – I always use the phrase herding cats. I mean, when, when you – and you've got – you know, because you, you've, got, you've got very diverse opinions in the U.S. Senate, which is why when you've only got 51 votes, it becomes more difficult because you've got, you've got your John McCain's and you've got – your, you know, Olympia Snows, and you've got, um, you know, your, um, I don't, Rand Pauls. <laughs> you know, I mean, I can you imagine trying? To, can you imagine being Mitch McConnell seriously and trying to rein all those people in? 
No, I actually think that Mitch McConnell doesn't get enough credit. I, you know, I mean, I, I, uh, I don't maybe necessarily think he's been great in everything, but I, I, I thought he did a pretty good job with, uh, I, with the tax bill and, and with, uh, with Obamacare repeal. He just, he was just too close to the margin on votes. Well, no, no, thanks for calling. And, and see, and I, I, I don't disagree with what you're saying. I, I think when you're trying to do, Big picture things that are very, very controversial as part of a budget, you're always going to have this problem in an immigration reform. And believe me, I'm somebody that believes that we, we need to we need to rethink immigration, that that's just the, the truth of the matter. And I know you might disagree with me when I say that just I, I come at it from a law enforcement perspective. If you've got 11 million people that are in this country illegally, and I've been saying this for two years, you, you can't. We just don't have the resources to deport all 11 million. We, we just, we just flat out don't. So I think you have to prioritize and pick and choose things. And I, I, again, if you're a regular listener, you know, I am skeptical of, of a physical wall. I, I just, that, that to me doesn't make any sense. If you want to talk about it in the, okay, we're going to use it as a metaphor and we're going to, you know, do that. I, I'm all in favor of tightening border security. I'm just not sure that the wall is the way to go about it and do it. But from a budget perspective, I guess, Short term, I would love to see a long term solution, but you are going to need a bipartisan approach to that. Short term, you need a continuing resolution and just to keep the government operating or else I think it's going to be, again, a political bloodbath. And that's right now where I think the Republicans in the Senate and the House should be. We're not going to get any support um, from Democrats on a big picture thing. Let's keep the government operating. Is it the best way to do it? No, but it avoids the shutdown, a shutdown which in reality won't make too much difference, but optically will be very harmful to, I think, Republicans, especially in an election year. Monica in New Berlin. Monica, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Oh, I totally agree with you, but the more I listen to the news and watch the news and hear the news on the radio and just personally see what's going on with our government, the Democrats hate for Donald Trump is, in my opinion, much stronger than the, the caring about the American people and what the American people need. You, Trump, is, Trump is stronger than the Democrats are with regard to that. That's what you're saying. What, yeah. what I'm saying is that the Democrats are not going to ever approve anything that Trump yep. wants to go through just because they hate him so much. Well, and, and also they if, see if him, the, and also, the Monica... people, too bad, so sad. Yeah, well, and also, Monica, they see wrong. him as being vulnerable. This is an election year. They they read the polls. They believe the polls. They think Trump is vulnerable. They don't feel any need to cooperate with him at all. They intend to try to run against Trump and, and use his unpopularity, and I'm putting that in air quotes, against every Republican candidate. So, yeah, they are politically emboldened, and stuff like what happens in Wisconsin yesterday in a special election just just furthers that. So there's not going to be any cooperation. There's no quite anything that's going to get done in this country is going to get done by the Republican majorities in the uh, House and the uh, Senate. Oh, I agree. Yeah. I agree. No, thanks, Nicole. But, but again, that, and that's why... I, I think it's important for the Republicans that control the House and Senate to kind of circle the wagons and say, look, we just allowing the government to run out of money is just going to be bad, bad for the country, bad for Republicans. 
bad in general, and, and we need to get past it here. Mitch and Sturgeon Bay sends me a text. I absolutely care. Huge optics that the Democrats would force a shutdown, championing non-citizens over citizens and blaming it on Trump's language is reprehensible. Worse, they make, may spin it to make political hay. And, and that, that's the other reality, too. I live in the real world, and that real world is if the government shuts down, Republicans will be blamed for it. Mark my words. Okay, when we come back, California declares war on something that I'm willing to bet you might have used within the last, oh, couple days. Stick around. It's 245. This is Jeff Wagner. 248, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Quick programming note. Mike Haas is an attorney who is the director of the state elections board. Before that, he was an attorney with the now disbanded and I think pretty much discredited Government Accountability Board, the folks that were the driving force behind the John Doe investigation. Haas was not directly involved in that investigation. In any event, he needs to be confirmed by the state Senate to keep his job. Um, A number of Republican state senators think that his involvement with the GAB should be disqualifying. He's going to join me live to talk about his role with the Government Accountability Board and the State Elections Board. And um, I've got some very, I, I think... I've got some interesting and some hard questions to ask him. He's going to join me at 10 after 12 tomorrow, so check that out. Okay, all right, we've only got a couple minutes here. There are two types of people in the world, Gru, who's producing the show today and always, people who drink out of straws and people who do not drink out of straws. Are you a straw guy or not? If it's a plastic cup, you drink with a straw, okay? I I am not a straw guy. The only thing, uh, you know, Milkshakes, maybe with straws. Otherwise, I do not use straws. You know, it's just, I, I don't, I don't know why. Do not drink with straws. I know a number of people, including people I've been very close to in my life, who would insist they would never think about drinking soda, you know, without having a straw. I don't get it. I'm drinking out of the cup unless, uh, unless the cup is like really filthy or something, in which case I'm probably not drinking out of it anyways. Um, the reason I bring this up is California. And again, I've I've always said that if you had a map of the United States made out of marbles and you shook it, every loose marble is going to kind of roll to California, except a couple might stop off in Madison. Anyways, there is a, of course, a Democrat legislator who is introducing legislation in California which would prohibit sit-down restaurants, not fast food places, but sit-down restaurants would be prohibited from providing straws to customers unless the customer specifically asked. The argument is that apparently up to 500 million plastic beverage straws are used every day in the United States and then immediately discarded. Yeah, my guess is, Gru, you don't save your straw. You get your soda, you drink out of it, you toss the cup away, and you toss the straw away. All right, so this legislator in California is saying that's just too many straws. We should not be as a matter of course giving people straws unless they ask. So the law would say, okay, restaurateur, you're not allowed to give somebody a straw. If they ask, you could, but just like, I don't know, a lot of restaurants come and they don't ask you whether you want water or not, they just put the water out there, you would have to wait to be asked before you could provide someone with a straw. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, there's some people who are saying, well, at least this isn't an outright ban on on straws, and this is a a way of being environmentally sound. The flip side of this would be, hey, look, look, it's a straw, 
And if a restaurateur knows their customers and they want to give out straws, they should be allowed to do it. Now, frequently, when I will order sodas or something, like I say, I'm not a straw person, I just don't use the straw. A lot of times the straws come, they're wrapped up, and, you know, I just I just leave it there. I, I don't use it. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would you support a law that makes it illegal for a restaurant, sit-down restaurant, to give you a straw unless you specifically asked? 414-799-1620. We only got a couple minutes. Let's get try to get to a couple calls. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To me, I don't think it needs to be a law. I think this is a situation where the restaurant knows their customers and they can make the decision. Eric and Franklin. Eric, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm on board with uh, restricting the straw use. Uh, when I was in Mexico at an all-inclusive resort, uh, we were given a straw, and I know they appreciated the fact that we would reuse that straw because in in the rest of our drinks because. Uh, the straws were doing damage to the animals, and they were get washing up uh, in the beach and all that. And uh, as Americans, I think we're somewhat wasteful with our stuff, and uh, and uh, there's no reason to be throwing away uh, all those straws that don't that don't need to be used. Well, I guess my question. Well, okay. I mean, thanks for calling. I mean, see, no. Okay, now, under this law, nobody says that the restaurant has to give out straws. I mean, nobody says that the restaurant has to give out straws. This law, though, would say that you couldn't give out straws unless they were specifically asked for. Now, see, my guess is lots of restaurants know their customers. And I would guess that a lot of sit-down restaurants, this is kind of how they operate. You know, anyways, there was a restaurant in Milwaukee that I, I actually, there is a restaurant still existence that I love a lot. I, I enjoy it a lot. I think it's, um, actually, I think it has some of the best pizza in town. And we would go there, and they never used to give out straws. They did not have straws and the truth of the matter was enough people started complaining that now they end up having straws 414-799-1620 let's talk to john on the northwest side john good afternoon good afternoon i, I was kind of confused when i because i was listening and, and you said it was just the ones that we had sit down restaurants yes not fast food restaurants they're exempt yes well that's insane because it's the fast food restaurants where you get the cup of soda or whatever and the straw leaves the premise yeah. yeah. Well, right. I mean, I see, I agree with you. I mean, if you thanks. I mean, no, I, I agree with you that now the reason they don't exempt the fast food, they, they exempt the fast food restaurants is they realize there would be like this, this huge outcry. And I'm with you. I would guess the vast majority of straws that end up in landfills or whatever are coming from the fast food places, not the fine dining establishments. So th- this is I think you're right. And that's the point I was going to try to make. This is another one of these feel good sort of things that at the end of the day, accomplishes little or nothing, I leave it up to the individual business. They should be able to decide whether they give you straws or not. And the bottom line is, if you care about this, then just don't use the straw. It's 2.55. When we come back, we're going to find out what Greg, Melissa, and John have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around.